The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools and investors seeking promising ag tech startups or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. I started to get a sense into how unfunctional and unsustainable the world is and how our resources are depleting, the, the growing population. So I started getting a panic feeling in my head that the things that I'm working with are a bit meaningless. I need to work with build a better future for the people. And that was the time that I decided that I'm going to quit my job and go back to school and started learning more about sustainability and green tech. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 2. Welcome back. We are in the home stretch here. It's been a fascinating, fascinating season with so many interesting founders, CEOs, chief strategy officers, sustainability officers, so many to name. I wonder if you have a highlight from this season. I'd love to hear about it. Harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. If this is your first episode, then welcome, welcome. You're in the right place. This is the show where we interview said fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. Again, I'm your host, Harry Turan. And in case you missed last week's episode, we had a great conversation with the founder of Heron Farms, Sam Norton. We learned about all things related to indoor farming using saltwater-friendly crops I certainly learned a lot from that episode with Sam, so make sure you check that out. Episode 25. This week, I welcome futurist and chief sustainability officer at Sweegreen, Sepper Musabi. Sepper is a sustainability strategist. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Innovation catalyst and a passionate futurist with an international and multicultural background. His organization, Sweegreen, is the number one ag tech company in Sweden, revolutionizing the vertical farming industry by providing futuristic, smart, and circular solutions for controlled environment growing systems. In this episode, we cover Sepper's unique background, his vertical farming origin story, and touch on definitions of terms like symbiosis, smart real estate solutions, and farming as a service. Sepper explains the importance of Sweetgreen's research and development department and why he feels it's important to educate the world on vertical farming and those looking to enter a career in ag tech. The time flew by with this conversation, and I really enjoyed Sepper's unique perspective on the industry. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'd love to read yours out next. 
Special thanks to our episode sponsor, Series Greenhouse Solutions. If you're looking for a greenhouse solution that will suit your specific climate and growing goals, then talk to an expert from Series Greenhouse Solutions. Series combines passive solar concepts, innovative climate control technologies, and customized grow systems to ensure that their growers are yielding the highest quality product year-round for the lowest operational cost. Visit SeriesGreenhouseSolutions.com, that's spelled C-E-R-E-S, GreenhouseSolutions.com, to learn more. This episode is also brought to you by the Vertical Farming Weekly Newsletter. Each week, our team members, Daniel Dre, scours the ends of the earth to find you the best stories in the world of vertical farming. Make sure you sign up today at verticalfarmingweekly.com. Okay, let's get into this conversation with Sepper. So Sepper Musavi, Chief Sustainability Officer and founding partner at Sweetgreen, thank you for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thank you for the invitation. That's a pleasure being with you. So Sepper, we were having a brief chat about the temperature in our respective areas. So for the benefit of the listener, let people know where you're at, where's home for you now. Absolutely. I'm based in Stockholm, capital city of Sweden in Scandinavia. And uh, tonight we're going to have like minus 12 degrees. It's snowing outside, so it's cold. (laughs) Yeah. Where were you originally from? I'm Iranian, so I'm like basically born in Iran, but I grew up in different countries and have an uh, international background. But uh, now I've been in Sweden for almost 10 years, so I could count myself as a Swede as well. (laughs) What's your fondest memory of growing up in Iran? I come from a, um, you know, landowner family. So mm-hmm. basically, we had a lot of different farmlands on my father's side. And uh, for me, I mean, agriculture has been always close to my heart. And uh, these are like very good memories, like being on the countryside and this huge farms of cotton and pistachio and like, uh, you know, having all those people working for my family. So these are the the positive ones. And then there are like a lot of uh, mixed feelings about the good and bad ones. But uh, yeah. (laughs) So you've had your hand in the soil, so to speak, since you were probably young. You could say that. You could say that. Definitely. I very much like followed my grandfather, who was owner of this like farms. And my father was academic and working was like as a university professor. So but uh, my grandfather, he owned the farm and he had like many farmers working for him. And uh, mm. it was really fun, like uh, hanging out with that guy and uh, getting your hands dirty and in the soil. <laughs> Some meal or food you miss most? There are actually like quite good uh, local restaurants here. You know, after the revolution in Iran, we have like a big uh, migrating community in different countries, including Sweden. But uh, there are this like, you know, slow cooked food, like different stews that you have like in Mm. the country. And then it's served with uh, saffron rice. So those uh, smells always like transfer you to, to your childhood. Yeah, definitely. Nothing like a, I always ask people, and I'm wondering what your answer would be. When you think of your childhood, yeah. what's the smell that comes to mind? No, I mean, definitely. That's one, one of those things because I guess smells are very, they just, you know, push a button down there, like yeah. in your head and like, you know, transfer you to, to the past, like very fast. But for me, it's more or less like the smell of the spring and the grass that brings me back mm. like to, to my childhood very much. Yeah. What, then what brought you to Sweden? Long story short, I mean, I started my education in agriculture, engineering, and then I started like moving around the world, like experiencing different countries. So I've been in different countries like Switzerland, you know, in England, Singapore, Dubai, and worked mostly like around food questions, but very much focused on business side of that. 
Mm. And then in my mid 20s, when I was working for a big like food company and was uh, engaged mostly like on the marketing side and working a bit with corporate social responsibility, I started to get a sense into how unfunctional and unsustainable the world is and how our resources are depleting, the, the growing population. So I started getting a panic feeling in my head that the things that I'm working with are a bit meaningless. And mm. we need to work with innovations and something that could build a better future for the people. And that was the time that I decided that I'm going to quit my job and go back to school and started learning more about sustainability and green tech. And one of the countries that I had on my map that I hadn't been to and didn't explore, but I had a lot of good you know, input on being a country that is like has sustainability as a part of its DNA, a lot of successful like tech companies. So I decided that I would move to Sweden. So back in 2008, nine, I got like this feeling in 2010, I landed here in Sweden and started with a master's program in agroecology. What was the biggest culture shock for you? I have like a very international background and I developed a skill for being flexible. So it wasn't like that difficult for me to digest down the Swedish culture. As many people talk about like, oh, Swedes are shy. You would not be that much socially integrated or the weather is so cold and so on. But it wasn't like that much of a shock for me. I uh, used to like uh, live in different countries and not to get shocked. So I don't think if I have any like big shocks that I could tell you. That's interesting. So it seems like, obviously, from growing up with agriculture in your family's background for many generations, mm -hmm. it just feels like this was a path that was going to be part of your future. Did you always know, like growing up when you attended university, that this is something that you wanted to study and learn more about? Absolutely not. I mean, I wasn't thinking about like, I'm going to end up there because all of this, like you have a lot of family pressure of becoming like an engineer or a medical doctor, yeah. like in the Iranian family, or a lawyer. <laughs> having three, exactly. And having like three PhDs and stuff like that. But when I wanted to start like in university, I thought like adding tech to agriculture would be really helpful because I saw like how difficult it is to be a farmer. And, you know, like still it's so super difficult, especially in developing countries for the current farmers and we see like the farming generation is becoming like older and older also in most of countries, even like in the more industrialized countries like the US, for example. And that was like the reason why I decided like I want to go and study like agriculture engineering to be able to see like how more automation you could bring to agriculture and make it a bit easier and more like scaled. And when did this idea or the promise of controlled environment agriculture, vertical farming? Like, when did you start to become aware of that? I mean, I started learning about controlled environment farming being the greenhouse industry quite early, like learning, like, because agriculture is all about, like, manipulation of ecosystem services. I mean, many people say, you know, vertical farming is artificial and it's not natural. The thing is, agriculture in general is not natural. <laughs> We're supposed to get our food from the nature as a part of our ecosystem services. And food is ecosystem, like, service number four, one of the main ones, aside from air and fresh water and, you know, things like that. But, I mean, manipulation of your setting for better yield and production and less risky business is controlled environment agriculture. And, I mean, greenhouse industry was easy for me, but I learned that greenhouse industry hasn't been that much developed since the Industrial Revolution and then the Green Revolution, afterwards in the 60s and 70s. 
But I mean, back in 2012, I started reading Dixon Despamier's book on vertical farming. So Dixon, like many, many other ones, has been an inspiration to me when I learned about that. And then for me, I mean, I was doing my... uh, a master's project on five different innovations that could help us uh, surviving on this planet. And I focused on five different company showcases in different areas like, okay, energy and hydrogen power, for example, was one of them. Mobility and electrical cars was one of them. So I tried like to reach out to Tesla and talk to Elon Musk, for example. I couldn't like talk to him directly as <laughs> you might think. But I, I managed to talk to his brother that is working today in, in vertical farming, for example. And Yeah, that's the other uh, Musk. <laughs> exactly, the other Musk. And uh, then I talked to founder and CEO of Plantagon in, in Stockholm that was working with vertical farming as well. And that was like my first contact with people working in the industry and trying to build that up. And that idea of growing vertical in real environment amazed me so much that one day I showed up like at their door and say like, I'm going to work here from tomorrow. So <laughs> that's how I got into the industry, basically. And what does, for the for the benefit of the listener, what, what did Plantagon focus on? What was their specialization? Plantagon was one of the early pioneers in the industry that it started back in 2008 and officially became like an actor in 2010, I guess, before I joined. I joined it in uh, 2013. And the idea for Plantagon was an automated system in very large scale that you would have a mechanical helix system that you could actually like plant your seeds on top of it, and then you place it inside in a skyscraper. And the plant just moves down and becomes like grape and ready to be harvested in the bottom floor. So you have these skyscrapers in different cities that could feed the whole city or like, you know, meet the need of leafy greens and herbs for them. So that was the basic idea for the company. But I mean, it was like a very big vision and Plantagon was very much focused on the mechanical engineering and the robotics part of that. And unfortunately, like back in 2019, early 2019, it went bankrupt. I mean, we could uh, go to it and like talk a bit more, but that's the intro to, to the company. It seems like this concept of the, the skyscraper, it, it's because it seems like a lot of what Dixon was talking about in the vertical farming book, right? Because yeah. that was the vision. Like he thought early days, this is, you know, take advantage of these buildings and these spaces. And it, mm-hmm. and it seems like that might have been an idea that Plantagon was leaning towards. How high did Plantagon think these buildings were going to be? Yeah, I mean, that was very interesting because uh, Dixon was one of the advisory board members of Plantagon as well. It was a Swedish innovator who came up with the system that you could you could develop and the building was tall. So the proof of concept project as a pilot was an skyscraper in the city of Linköping, just south of Stockholm here in mm-hmm. 17-story building. Wow. So, I mean, tall for a vertical farm. <laughs> And then, obviously, the, you mentioned that they went bankrupt. If you had to look back now mm-hmm. and think about you know, what aspects of that they got right and then what aspects maybe you know, mm-hmm. were not working so well, what do you, what do you think the answer for that? I mean, that? basically, I guess there is a fat chance in different industries that the first favors fail because you always come up with this like, you know, perfect vision and you want to like realize a vision that is too early. So you want to like eat up an elephant as a piece instead of like chopping it down to different pieces and eat it up. 
as many actors are doing it at the at the moment. So one thing was like the vision was gigantic. It was too big. And the other thing was like Plantagon was a bit ahead of its time. We don't have that much emergency need for leafy greens. I mean, it's a working industry. It's a futuristic thing to think about, like in a skyscraper feeding our people at the moment. So that part was the other one. And then the proof of concept project was too expensive. So it was really difficult to obtain that much risk capital for the company. The other thing that was also tricky was Pantagon got used to having money in the bank account because of the big seed money that the company received in the very mm. beginning. So it became like a budget-oriented company instead of a goal-oriented company. And let's go and get this like drops of financing that you might need. So, I mean, for me, I've seen an impact innovation who could have been a part of the future and like, you know, taking it to the next level fail. And I learned a lot like from that. And I mean, maybe the, the wrong customer because Plantagon was very much focused on selling vertical farming to cities. And maybe cities are not the right customer for buying vertical farming. Yeah. I mean, they could only enable you with a platform. Yeah, I think when you think of cities, you think of bureaucratic red tape and <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. So I mean, I had the chance of like meeting a lot of uh, interesting people during my Plantagon time, like of Dixon, uh, Peter Diamantis, like mentioned Plantagon in Abundance. I met him, Leonardo DiCaprio, Al Gore, you know, people like that. And then working with like you know the political side of that and educative part of that, which was like super fun for for a young guy like me to be engaged on that platform, is getting a lot of like also rewards from the people listening this visionary ideas. But in the end, I mean, it was a failure for a good innovation like that. So it was a sad story in the end. Yeah, I've mentioned it a couple of times, the influence of Peter Diamandis' book, Abundance, which oh, had the yeah. chapter on future technologies. That's literally how this podcast got started because <laughs> I read it and yeah. then there was a chapter on the future tech, nanotechnology, vertical farming, and I was like, oh, vertical farming, interesting. He mentioned Dixon's book, and obviously. So I did. he has committed to coming on early, for season one and then... Uh, I have to revisit because we sort of we weren't able to make the scheduling happen. But I mean, that's obviously that would be a fun conversation and to bring oh, everybody. Peter is a very nice guy, and I mean, he's been in Stockholm and also like uh, Steve Cutler. He's been to Plantagon's office and like met with us and like mentioned Plantagon in abundance as well. So that would be nice to listen to those guys now and see like how that kind of like that chapter could be rewritten now yeah. based on the thing happening um, at the moment. So once the Plantagon had, had folded, you know, you were left to decide where you wanted to go next. Right and, and I'm sure you had some different options. So talk a little bit about before Sweet Green, like where you ended up. It was early 2019, like in February. And I mean, for, for a few months, there were like rumors that it might happen. I mean, there has been a very a big discussion with a big Swedish actor which owns a lot of Swedish corporates here in Sweden, becoming Plantagon's major owner and buying the company. Mm. So there has okay. been thoughts of like having a billion offer on the table for Plantagon. Plantagon had a very big patent portfolio for this skyscraper, which had a lot of intellectual property value based on the valuation of consultancy firms that put it together and so on. But from a billion Swedish crowns offer to bankruptcy, it only went like super fast in a few months. And for me, it was also like a conflict between the people in the competence team and people leading the company as well, because the focus went on the portfolio. And obviously, the portfolio was about the mechanics and robotics and automation. And we've been thinking like 
the digital revolution is actually a better way of taking, like making it smart rather than automated would be maybe interesting for us to take as a path, especially like working with Swedish tech companies that were um, acting like closer towards the data science. So when Pantagon went bankrupt, one idea was like, all right, you could go and continue somewhere else. And I was engaged already as a smart city consultant with many different like companies in, in our network. But anyways, the core part of our competence team, the people who work with R&D and uh, growing competencies, sustainability and innovation people, we decided that it's too good to go. I mean, we need to help this innovation to survive and maybe like with a change of vision that we should focus more like towards digitalization and a small scale thing that might work here in Stockholm rather than being sold to Hong Kong and Singapore and Shanghai because the system for Plantagon was in very big scale, like, you know, big tons of food for being delivered to people in China, for example. So we got actually like a very nice conversation on with some angel investors who already invested also like in a smaller project at Plantagon. We talked to those guys and also a few like new people. So it was five of us who decided that we go together and these angel investors put more money in, into the company to build up a proof of concept for this small scale innovation. And then Green was born after a few months after the bankruptcy of Plantagon back in early 2019 as well, like in March, April. So we officially became a company in April, May. And the first thing that we did was we tried to like capitalize on all the competence that we had in our head and build up a proof of concept for a super controlled environment farm that Mm -hmm. could have had a symbiosis model with its host building, exchange of heat and, you know, surplus energy coming from the LEDs, bringing in CO2 from the building and so on, which is to date still very unique. Where was the uh, inspiration? Inspiration for that idea did you see somewhere else where that was working or i'm just curious where you thought of the concept of the symbiosis which i think is fascinating if you could talk about that this was a part that was developed when you start talking about you know integration of vertical farming as a smart city function and a smart city is all about like building an industrial symbiosis in, on the infrastructure level if you talk about the hardware of the city How would your mobility connect to your waste management and to your energy system? So you you get like waste management collected, turn it to energy, give it to your like, you know, buses, for example. And uh, that inspired the thought that uh, you could have like a symbiotic system that has an exchange between different infrastructure at city level. But if you're going to scale down the innovation from a city function to something that could feed neighborhood, then probably you could look at like a smart buildings and how you could build up symbiosis between a host tower that we have our farm under, for example, which is the old newspaper tower, one of the tallest buildings of Stockholm. And we have a farm on floor minus three, like one of the old uh, newspaper archives. And then what are the different resources that we could exchange? And many of us, we know, like we talk a lot about sustainability of vertical farms in many different manners except like the energy consumption and the LEDs, because we know like the LEDs are still haven't that much evolved. And there is a lot of like loss of energy, which is also costly that you could try to harness and sell 
to a host facility. And that was the thing that we showcased. So one part was the symbiosis and the other part was like trying to build a proof of concept for disruptive innovation of like 100% controlled environment for growth of food. Mm. Before digging in a little bit more on sweet green, I saw yeah. that you also did some work at the United Nations as well. Yes. I mean, that's these were kind of like the different, you know, sidekicks that came like when I was working for Plantagon because it was a lot of like lobby work and working with political parties, setting up standards for smart cities. So I, I worked with the United Nations as a climate change advisor in one of their task forces for a few years. And then I got like a bit disappointed because this like, Heavy machinery is not as functional as I hoped it would be. Uh, then I, I was chairing like a, a few like a standardization committees at national and international level as well. So there has been a lot of engagements like that for me as a uh, chief sustainability officer for, for that company. I think what's interesting and maybe frustrating is the reach of some of an organization like the United Nations in getting the word out is really important and also yeah. probably making connections to other countries and getting all these systems to work together because obviously you know their mandates are to you know in- increase you know sustainability efforts for the planet and mm-hmm. you know everything that the United Nations does is global in in scope exactly. so it must have been frustrating because the potential is there but sometimes because it's an organization so big they move so slow Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's one of the things like it's more or less like as an example of working for a big corporation and a startup because you could work in agile settings. You could like try to reflect on everyday things and try to just change a strategy very fast. But if you're working with a corporation that you have like 10 vice presidents over you and you need to talk to a board and so on, you can't be as agile. So this is exactly like the same thing when you work with the bigger organizations and United Nations is gigantic. So but I mean, the goodwill is there are tools that are there, but is not as functional that you hope. So it's very sluggish. You get used to this tempo. Maybe you could be there and work. But unfortunately for me, it was difficult because I was a bit more used to being like working with more impact within reach. One of the things you talk about on the Sweetgreen site is this idea of farming as a service. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. I mean, when we build up this proof of concept farm, we started to realize like, all right, I mean, it's very interesting. There are like different areas. It's interdisciplinary system that you put together. You talk about like, okay, you want to produce food in controlled environment, in the city environment. So that's already like complicated. But then when you come to production level, that's in, it's again like more systems getting integrated to each other. It's the plant science and agricultural knowledge that it's about the plants itself you talk about like all the physics and dynamics all the machinery that you need for the climate to be controlled and the optimized climate you have all of the iot and connectivity platform in order to be able to measure if everything is right or not and then you come like to to the data sciences use of ai like for your recipes to see like if i have the perfect recipe for you know basilica genovese to be produced within my system or like good tasting tomatoes based on this customer requirement and so on. So when we started to work like further with that, we realized like the logistics of food is very difficult to handle. And one thing is like you have this competition with the traditional food industry that is built on like buying product in a bulk sense. And then you have all the middle hand who come in. So when you look at the, the leafy green business, you see like this huge billions of dollars worth of industry 
that goes to leafy greens and herbs and salads and likes of those, like vegetables and greens, basically. But only 20% of that figure goes back to production. And then you start to think about, like, it's a challenge to sell your produce, especially in the last mile. So we started to think about, like, what could be an alternative solution to resolve two different points. First, resolve the last mile issue and put these farms, like, as close to the customers with zero transport. And Mm -hmm. also how to get paid in forehand instead of, uh, you know, selling your produce to the customer, because I mean, all of these different like competitors that we have that are focusing in large scale, I mean, from the big actors like Plenty to the smaller ones, you haven't sold your plant until the customer has paid for it in the cashier. Yeah. But then this in-store platform that we developed and we sell it in a farming as a service model, you get paid in forehand and it's as close like to the system as well. And for you to understand like what's an in-store platform mean, it is basically like an, a smaller module that we have developed in an automized setting, like a fully integrated solution, which is automated. It's remotely monitored and AI driven. So you put in a small farm in your retail store. How small, how, what size are we talking about? I mean, the area that we need is more or less like somewhat between 30 to 40 square meters that makes a store totally self-sufficient for all the salads and leafy greens and herbs that they consume. If it's a bigger store, then you could go like bigger, but we are also looking at like maybe a, uh, and a smaller like module that could be also like put in the smaller like retail stores as well. But at the moment, we need an area of like eight by uh, five square meters, something like that with a ceiling of around three meters high. And do you have these functional now? We do. I mean, we have put the first one as a proof of concept in a supermarket in Gothenburg, in west coast of Sweden. So that was the first one. And then like the second one in city of Lin Shopping, south of Stockholm. And now we have signed more contracts and we have a lot of hot leads in Sweden in our pipeline. So hopefully by the end of the year, we, we should have around like 20 of them in the, in the market. And then maybe like taking the international step. And do you have enough data points yet to see what the response has been? Exactly. So, I mean, these are the different parts that we started like to work with because, okay, the first module we focused on like developing a controller for the system based on the intelligence that we captured in the R&D farm in, in Stockholm. So we call the project City Farm and City Farm in the beginning was supposed to deliver food to the people, but then it became like, all right, we sell the produce as a side thing, but it's rather an R&D unit to capture the intelligence to be used in these different farming as a service units that we have out there. So, yes, so we started like with uh, with capturing that intelligence and feeding it to the farm. And there is a sensing platform and connectivity platform to capture the, the data from the real life environment and from our customers to try to build up a rather more autonomous system. Because the, the next step would be if our, what we call it like sweet green cloud system, would become more and more AI-based and automated and autonomous, rather, which could get connected to the business intelligence of the retail store and produce after demand. So these are like the next small things that we try to just, you know, hack and uh, develop uh, towards them. But anyways, like the basic controller and the AI center is in place for the units. And do you have enough learnings from that to understand where you're, you're looking to innovate next? 
Exactly. I mean, the thing is like we need probably more units in the real environment to be able to decide on some of the factors because we still have like some strategies that we have around analytics, how they should work, how much we should further automize these units, how much like work could we save, what kind of like after sales service we should offer like in a rather practical sense, and then look into applied use of AI and multi-AI agents rather to build up autonomous systems. So these are the different areas that we decided that should be our focus. But we don't have like crystal clear idea of how it should be developed. So if we have a short term kind of like practical strategy for developing our cloud system and farm management system. But those bigger questions about like traceability and autonomous functions, they would come as you capture more data from the real life environment, basically. When you talk about the offerings for Sweetgreen and the different places you're looking to innovate you know you talk about smart farming your smart would this fall under what you call your smart real estate solutions on the site uh, no we don't i mean the, the smart real estate solution was one of the early like kind of like concepts that we developed that maybe our customers could be the real estate branch basically because they're looking for innovations i mean use of you know buildings has changed there are many different things that are changing in these like for example parking and garage houses they're becoming less popular especially in like central european cities because people tend to not own a car but look at like mobility as a service for example and yeah. use like shared cars and then obviously you don't need like big garage houses and what should they do with that so then the idea of like you know what, what do you call it like the co-spacing like for offices started. That shared office became a thing. It boomed in Stockholm. Like everybody has started offering. Like we have like a, uh, you know, hotel office for you that you could get like shared space and so on. And then it became like, over the need that the market has and then i mean they give you like offers and you understand that all right okay there's like so many different uh, co-working spaces in cities like stockholm amsterdam and then COVID. (laughs) exactly and then the COVID came and everybody works from home and so on so these guys are looking for these different innovations our web page is unfortunately not very updated so we still have that offer on our web page we are launching actually the new version during next week or the upcoming one I don't think if we're going to keep like this smart building offer there because we're focusing rather on uh, farming as a service. That was also one thing that we learned that we should focus on one part of our innovation rather than talking about the smart buildings and farming as a service at the same time. But anyways, like the smart building offer was rather to build up farms like the city farm uh, facility that we have here for the real estate owners that have bigger spaces that they don't know what they should do with them. But anyways, then the business model question always like falls on your lap and you need to sell the greens and then, the, you know, resolve the last mile issue as well. Yeah, I think it's fascinating you know, the concept of what you were thinking with that, because it's the same thing as when people talk about unused space on rooftops, right? Yeah. And that's how a lot of these, you know, outdoor farms got started. I, I grew up in New York. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of farms in Brooklyn as well that, uh, you know, started on rooftops of these unused space. And so I think right. to think of that is not any stretch of the imagination, because we don't have to look too far in some of these urban areas to see so much space that could be 
put to use for some of these efforts. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one good thing about this kind of unused spaces is you could build up these symbiotic manners because having rooftop systems when your rooftop is not built for agriculture could have its own difficulties as well. So people who've worked with rooftop farming and not like in the community sense, rather than like this green islands that you could put on top of like any tall building, you know that there's a lot of different challenges running these and you always have like also interference of the, the weather outside, the sunshine, it's not that much control, then you have like all of this issue and it's very difficult to build up this kind of symbiosis with the residential building when you don't have like a professional administration in place because people tend to, you know, lose their interest in being a farmer. It could be like super fun to have like a rooftop farm in your residential building and you could be there. But if it's like a daily work that you need to perform, then you lose your interest after some time. And then like the whole thing uh, kind of like, you know, vanishes away. How important is your R&D arm to ideas you have for future growth? It's very important. I mean, one thing that I could say is like my early role in Suigang was basically like chief innovation officer, that I should be a part of like developing the innovation. But as we went on, we brought in like new people and made them kind of area responsible person for these five different areas that I mentioned for like the the physical platform that we have and the machinery and plant sciences and the connectivity platform and the digital system to have like product owners for these parts. And then I took the role of research lead and the sustainability guy to orchestrate more or less like these parts in collaboration with our academic partners because we have a lot of good contacts, especially with Swedish universities and some other like European research institutes who are interested indoor vertical farming as an industry and especially like seeing the relationship of that towards the people, like the social sustainability angle and the environmental sustainability angle. And they like to look at us as, you know, R&D infrastructure. And for us, I mean, it's interesting whenever we could match our needs with their competencies and also like seek different grants projects together, which also has been a part of our obtaining money and bringing like capital on board and also competence, especially from academia in a sense that it's good for our business in order to be able to keep the company for ourselves until we could have a better growth and then maybe like go for institutional money and bringing like venture capital money on board because we had a very good like uh, seed money and then we sold like some minor shares to different like serial entrepreneurs and people who are working like with the risk money and so on. So it's very important for us to have a close collaboration with the academia and uh, focus on an R&D platform. One of the titles that I noticed on your LinkedIn was Futurist as well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering how you think about what's possible because you have the benefit of having worked at Plantagon and seeing how the promise of something could you could attempt it and then not succeed. Yeah. So I'm sure that's always in the back of your mind, especially at Sweet Green, oh, you know, trying not to get too far ahead between mm-hmm. what's possible 
and you know what you see in the future and what's realistic in terms of what you can deliver. Exactly. So that's one of the things that we uh, discuss very much like internally because one of our co-funding partners has become our CEO in a later stage. And that guy is very much like goal focused and Andreas is like always the one that you know puts up the handbrake for me like don't get like too visionary with the stuff that you're thinking now we need to focus on this and that and then you could go to the next step because I'm always like curious about like oh what about this traceability function that we could add to this platform and what about this autonomous function that we could have here maybe we could look at the you know hyperspectral camera image processing and he always like says like maybe like take it easy and start with this and that and then like take it to the next one and I've been like that from the very beginning I was very interested in history and what I learned from history was like if you look at the process of development of how we got here you could somehow guess where are we going to like end up in the future mm. as well because we always like repeat this kind of like evolution trends and like sometimes we tend to forget like how did we end up here and you could see like okay we had a pandemic around 100 years ago and we have a pandemic again and it's more or less like okay it's the first time that it happened to us but so and that's because like so instead of like being obsessed with that i started to learn about these different trends that you could foresee about future and that's why like i tend to see myself as someone who's interested in building the future and more or less this is what kept me in this industry because i think like vertical farming is a part of the future of food even if many people talk about like, okay, food security and leafy greens don't really like add up because you can't feed the people with only like greens. But I know, I mean, we're going to be surprised by different varieties that we might be, uh, you know, able to produce in vertical farms. And especially if we're going to like, you know, take ourselves into different planets, vertical farming and resource efficient, like farming is the future. So you always see like a bigger kind of like journey for our kind rather than only focusing on uh, what's happening today and what's needed today, because, I mean, it's going to be for the better good in the future. Yeah, and I think a futurist doesn't limit themselves by what's come before, because you have to have the capacity to think of something that doesn't exist. Exactly. Because that's how you create the future, because if you just use what was around we would never have these new technologies because exactly. sometimes people's mind is so limited. And, 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 you know, if you look at just the pioneers in the space and you look at, you know, if Ford, the quote from Ford, like Henry Ford, is said, if I asked people what they want, they probably would have said a faster horse. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> Not a car, right? So I think it's this idea of thinking beyond what's possible. Are you a, a fan of science fiction and future future movies or? Oh, definitely. I have a, uh, in a small blog on Instagram that I actually write about like futurism, like science fiction. It's called Earth of Billions. And one of the things that I wrote about was this kind of like the crisis that London's going to have with all the horse dung in its streets. And it's going to be like filled with horse dung, like up to people's knee if we continue with the growing population. And then after 30 years, you have the cars like all over the place. Not that, I mean, the cars did come with their own challenges and traffic and pollution and stuff like that as well but that's how we are i mean somebody thinks outside the box and we need to take it and people who don't like adopt to these scenarios they vanish away from the picture and usually like people who don't want to get out of their comfort zone and are afraid of going to the unknown and have like a torch and look in the dark they're not the one building the future but we always have like signs of what the future could be 
if we see the need and we try to think outside the box and like take the future as like, you know, amazing people do it like every day around this planet for having a better future for our kind, like give us a, a chance of survival, basically. Where do you look for inspiration? In many different platforms, I mean, I uh, follow like work of uh, many different influencers in the sectors, people who I see as pioneers in different industries. And I have like different areas that I'm more like fond of, but not specifically like idolizing someone or reading like a specific one, but uh, try to do my you know, desk research, follow like different people and also like see what's happening in the industry and what's coming like from the top down visionary kind of like ideas, because it's somewhat like a a hemisphere of like these two things meeting up from a top down vision to a bottom up like innovation and development that many smaller like actors could do as well and build up a piece of the puzzle for, for this future scenario. When you think of the future of controlled environment, agriculture, vertical farming, what's something that you think might be interesting to dig into or to learn more about when you think about maybe you know three to five years down the line? I mean, what I see that might be like a very interesting topic and many still like talk about that is capitalizing the potential of the plant because we know that the the potential that we capitalize on is not that much, especially in the in the traditional farming. So that's one thing that is we, we, we are focusing very much on that. And then the other thing is how much of resource efficiency or further resource efficiency and especially like circular and circular economy systems we could have in the future. How much of like reuse of these resources because we have a planet with depleting resources and the climate change is not per se working in favor of us with water scarcity and lack of like arable land and fertile soil and the pollutions and all of these different issues. So I see a very big potential for controlled environment and especially like in vertical settings because then you could bring it closer to the people in more like intensive sense and then having like higher yield based on less resources that you put into that. But one thing that I see that is very interesting is maybe role of actors such as like operators and telecom actors, which might become like very more important in an industry like food. Because I mean, you see them already like as a big actor in many other industries like mobility, for example, like how they help the autonomous vehicles to receive like environmental information yeah. and, uh, for example, get the infrastructure connected. So you're not working as a self-standing unit. You're becoming a part of a bigger system. And this is something that those kind of actors could have for the food industry, especially like connecting people to the decision-making processes, like for the production units. And what is it that actually people want to have? And then, you know, engaging the citizens a bit more into this platform and like maybe uprooting the need for middle hand actors in the sector as well. So there are like a lot of interesting things that might happen in the future. Not that AI should decide what I'm having for dinner, but an enabler role for a uh, better and more ever decision-making process for the, for the consumer. And also like, as I mentioned, for the production unit based on more systemic and holistic thinking. How much or how important do you think is education as well, both from the consumer and also from the people coming into the space and the opportunities that might exist as people think about this as a career choice as well? 
Mm-hmm. No, I mean, uh, it's really important. I mean, f- for me myself, I got this shock after getting a bit more educated on how actually our planet works today. And then you get shocked, like, wow, is this really like that bad? And what's my role as an individual? I mean, you could always like panic and like go to your shell and say like, okay, I'm not a part of that. And I'm not going to be here like when uh, basically shit is banned. <laughs> but on the other side, it's more or less like then as individuals, we could make more ever decisions and become a part of the solution. And when you talk about like inspiration for the people, I mean, as I mentioned in the beginning, there are so many older generation who are engaged as farmers today in this industry. And many of the youngsters and their children, they didn't want to stay on the countryside and continue, even if it was like industrial, like farming systems and so on. And then I've heard figures about like this old generation of farmers in the Far East and in Japan that it's over like 70 years with the average age of uh, like people being like feeding the country. And then if you don't have this new generation coming and working for you, it's a challenge. But I mean, when I look at our farmers today, it's uh, like they're like people in their 20s, like coming to their work in their hoodies, listening to their (laughs) hip hop music, you know, planning things on their iPad and then doing the practical work as well. And these are like the future urban farmers. So I guess it's really important like to add this coolness factor to agriculture and vertical farming has a very big role for that. How do you think about this when it comes to your own family and, and just teaching them? Like, I imagine they're inspired by the work that you do and, and then your friends and family as well. Well, I mean, one thing that I could tell you is like a more plant-based diet became a more accepted like choice for my family as well. Mm-hmm. And especially like coming from a country that you have a lot of like you know, meat dishes and people love like their barbecues and like having their kebabs and, you know, things like that. And then you talk about like a plant-based diet in in the beginning, it might be a a shock to talk about like oat milk and almond milk and like changing towards more like vegetarian alternatives. I try to eat myself rather than as a pescatarian. So I uh, eat a lot of seafood as well. Me too, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing, like you could inspire the environment around you. And then make people aware that, I mean, their choice matters anyways. This could be like in many different areas, including food. And food is specifically important because we know that 30% of our carbon footprint is associated with food and everything that comes with it as a package, like the whole industry Mm -hmm. of processing and transportation and logistics and so on. So it's uh, really important. As you think about what you have planned at at Green. What excites you the most about the initiatives you're currently working on right now? Basically, I think like we had found a very good niche that is more or less globally unique because the whole process of growing the plant for us happens in the store. And there is no other actor that still like offers a similar solution that you have in that sense. And the amount of yield that we have based on the footprint area that we have is also like quite high. And I see like a lot of these different challenges could be resolved and this innovative business model that we develop for farming as a service to get pay on, on a subscription fee is also very interesting and more unique. So all of these and like making it a more accepted thing by retail, because that was a disruption of the traditional food system, some things that the retailers weren't used to. They're used to buy something and pay it with a margin to the mm-hmm. consumer instead of taking like, oh, I could pay a subscription fee like Netflix 
and then I could make good money on top of that. And it's good for my sustainability image or like core sustainability, if you really care about that, some, like some actors basically do. So we have this collaboration with the biggest retailer in Scandinavia, Ica, which became our early adopter customer. And all of the ones that we have, like signed contracts with, are also coming from the same chain. So all of that is excitement. And I think the next step for us is rather to go over this like practical research and development and especially development that we're doing at this stage to make this like last touches on the innovation and make it more and more practical and user friendly, especially for scaling up, like offering a better like, you know, interface to our customers, better like planning tool to our customers that are we are like focusing on. And then go to this more like visionary parts when we land more venture capital also. So that would be like the next thing for us to build up organization and take it to the next level and become an international actor. Because I mean, as a very young actor who only have been like in the market for less than two years, we have been really agile. And that's thanks to the competence that we had on board, like millions of dollars that was used on other platforms for development that ended up in our brains when we started new ones and it didn't cost us anything, especially time, which is very important like in um, in the startup environment. So the next uplifting stage would be really exciting to be a part of, like uh, if you're talking about Sugui. What was the, the reaction? Because when you look at these units in the store, I mean, it's mm-hmm. really interesting because it's this, it is this sort of hybridization of, because you've got the, the people who can create these in-house appliances, like yeah. you're just a, a private residence and you want to have something like underneath the sink. Mm-hmm. And then obviously all the way up to the like the plenties of the world. But it seems like you've found a sweet spot to try out a model. And there must be an instant reaction when people are in a store to see these units. Yeah. And to like, you know, I'm wondering if you've been there and, and seen that feedback. No, I mean, basically, it's really interesting because, I mean, if you talk about like how we conceive food as a concept that ends up in our shopping bag, sometimes, I mean, especially like early stage when I was working like for Plantagon, you always got this question like, what this sounds like unnatural, it's artificial, like why are you using this much technology when you have the sun outside there? But I mean, now people have got more used to technology solving the issue. So it's rather like, wow, wow, this is so cool, rather than I'm a skeptic. And this is really cool to see, like even people who come from this hipster background that are not that much like tech interested are even like interested in this. And this is like so enjoyable to see like people actually understand like how you could delegate your problems to to technology and get something like in return that tastes better, is more fresh, have like a better like sustainability. And it's all about like education as well. You need to present this idea to them. Why are we doing that? How are we doing that? What's in it for you? What's in it for me? What's in it for our planet? And then people get on board. So this is quite interesting to see the reaction of people when you bring it to that level and and talk to them like in real environment, like only taste it. Like the one that was imported from sort of Europe and has been traveling on trucks and trains like for weeks 
compared to the one that is like here and has been like grown in there and is still like living. So you're taking it home and you're not throwing away any soil. It's soil free. You're not throwing away any nutrition. Everything is circular. All the like the, the surplus energy is used in this building. The cooling energy comes from like the the fridge like over there. And then people like was like, wow, this is so cool. I mean, I'm actually doing something for the for the planet and I'm bringing better food home to my children, especially if they're thinking about like the future generation. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. And I, every time I have these conversations, just learn a little bit more. <laughs> and yeah, I want to thank you for taking the time sure, to, to be here. Um, you know, the, the time goes by quick. And what I find so fascinating is your origin story. And I don't know if you knew it when you were growing up as a child that, that this is where you would end up. But it's the story now is, is, is so nice when you look back how, you know, generations of farmers coming from your family and you combining your interest of technology and your passion for you know the future you're able to put all these pieces together now and you learned some hard lessons at, at plantagon and now you're, you're translating that into making better choices at, at sweet green so it's been fascinating uh, story you shared with us i want to thank you for 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 taking the time no thank you it's been an amazing journey and i was lucky enough i mean to be able to experience this and like as you said like coming from that background and then sharing the things that i'm doing with with my parents like with uh with like the previous generations and having the chance of like working with amazing people like the people that i had around me and have around me and i mean give me the environment to growing like you know day by day and be able to work with a question like related to our survival on this planet and the future of food. So I'm really thankful for that. And thank you in specifics, like for the invitation and uh, letting me being a part of this show amongst like many other interesting peoples and pioneers in the industry. Thank you. So the website is uh, sweetgreen.com, S-W-E-Green.com. And uh, where else do you want to send folks anywhere else to connect with you or the company? We have like Instagram as well. And if they look for uh, Sui Green, they find us at uh, Instagram as well. And right. if they're interested in my uh, futurism blog, that Earth of Billion that I have on Instagram as well, I'm always like happy to be in contact on LinkedIn as well. And if you want to follow our Sui Green page on LinkedIn, then we uh, share a lot of like input and updates on the company on our LinkedIn page as well. So feel free to, to follow us and be in contact with me as well. Okay, Sepper, we'll, we'll put all of those links in the show notes as well so people can follow where they want. Thanks again for your time. I really appreciate you sharing the story. Thank you. Thanks again to Sepper for coming on the show and sharing his story. As always, full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Special thanks to our sponsor, Series Greenhouse Solutions. Series creates sustainable growing environments by combining smart design, innovative technology, and dynamic partnerships. Learn more at seriesgs.com. That's C E R esgs.com. So this wraps up season two of our podcast. Special thanks to everyone that joined me this season. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, I learned a lot from the conversations I had. And as a little bit of a sneak peek, I'm really excited to let you know that we are lining up season three of the podcast. Early shout out to the team at Cultivated who's come on board as a season three sponsor. I already have several interviews in the can, so I'll tease out a couple. Eric Lebeck from Cultivated, Allison Kopp from Artemis, Rob Lang from Farm One, just to name a few. So 
We're going to take a little bit of a pause for about uh, two weeks on this podcast. I may uh, release an update or a recap uh, next week if uh, if I can get around to it. But uh, make sure to use this time to catch up on past episodes and so that you'll be all caught up as we kick off season three. As always, don't forget to engage on all of our social platforms. We've been pretty active on our LinkedIn company page and on Instagram and Twitter at Vertical Forum Pod. Now would be also a good time to leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFB if you enjoyed any of the content from this season. Until we meet again for season three, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.